Stand by while NCLA cuts through the noise to signal abuse of administrative power. This is Administrative Static with Mark Chenoweth and John Vecchione. of John Mellencamp mean it's time for another segment of uh, Administrative Static. And John Vecchioni is is back with us to talk about some of the, the goings-on in a couple of, uh, of NCLA's uh, cases. And, and John, I think maybe we want to range a little bit more broadly than just uh, NCLA's case to talk about what's been happening with the student loan debt forgiveness cases uh, more broadly. Yes, because they've been brought all over the country. Different things have been happening in them. Uh, one thing happened in our case, which I think you can talk about. You were at the hearing, right? Yeah, well, so the hearing got canceled. Uh, we were supposed to have a hearing in Kansas City uh, this past Thursday, uh, the 17th, and the judge uh, called us up, uh, or I guess he didn't technically call us up, but he, he uh, 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 the clerk of the court said we need to have a sort of logistics uh, call. Uh, and so we had a, we had a call, and, and the judge essentially said, uh, you know, look, I don't want to drag all of you guys out for this hearing in Kansas City when uh, it looks like, based on what's ha- happened, and we'll talk about this in a minute, what's happened in the Northern District of Texas and what's happened in the Eighth Circuit, uh, I'm not sure that you guys have a sort of a live case or, or controversy uh, here anymore. And so uh, what, what I want to hear from you is why I should go ahead and decide any of this right now when uh, these other two courts have, have sort of uh, taken the ball and run with it. So we have some answers to that, and, and we've got a briefing schedule now to to respond uh, to the to the judge's uh, query on that. But what what's happened, John, in the Northern District of of Texas, the the judge there uh, uh, didn't just uh, issue a stay, but essentially converted the the preliminary injunction request into a kind of a summary judgment uh, motion and granted it and set aside the the program. Uh, the the debt forgiveness program as as unconstitutional and I mean I don't I don't know if you have some ad- additional well, thoughts on that John well, but I, my my question there is because we've always talked about standing right, right right this thing was designed so no one would be able to challenge it except maybe Congress and Congress was in hands that wouldn't go challenge it so uh, the standing issue has been something we've discussed what was the story in Texas. Yeah, the, uh, the story in Texas is, uh, uh, if I remember correctly, it's a couple of individuals who didn't qualify uh, for the forgiveness program and thought that they should, which which I think is uh, what's the best word? A rickety theory of standing, uh, <laughs> if I can if I can put it that way. Uh, and I think that if you look at at the judge's ruling on the merits about all the different reasons why the program is unconstitutional. I think he's on very solid footing and in his statutory interpretation and, and so forth. Very, very well reasoned, very, uh, I think, spot on. Uh, I think that the risk is, and this is what we told the judge in in, uh, in Topeka, uh, Judge Krauss uh, in Topeka, Kansas, we, and we said, look, uh, when this goes up to the Fifth Circuit, it could very well be the case that the, the Fifth Circuit might agree with the district judge on the merits but might decide that that there isn't standing for these particular plaintiffs to assert uh, what they're asserting, and and that's because even if a court 
strongly, if an appellate court strongly believes the law, something's gone wrong with the law, they still always go to their jurisdiction and go to this standing issue. And 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 they care they, they about can't it. Overlook it. You know, and they care about it more than um, you can possibly believe. And and so, I the, the listeners shouldn't think that they're going to like oh gloss it over because they want to come out one way or another. They they know that if they find standing there, what other cases are going to come on? They're going to be unmeritorious ones. Is this going to open the floodgates? We we have rules on standing. We're going to enforce them, whatever we think about the underlying law. So it very that very well could happen. That's right. And so, you know, and, and to his credit, uh, Judge Krauss was uh, sensitive to the fact that if that should happen, if the Fifth Circuit were to to say uh, strike it down or, or that probably isn't the right wording, if they were to, to send it back to the district court and say, I, you know, I uh, don't agree with your, you know, with your theory of standing here, take another look at this or, or maybe even uh, dismiss the case uh, based on lack of standing uh, or something like that. Then you know our our concern, our client's concern, Cato Institute's concern would be that what would prevent the government at that point from immediately sending out a bunch of letters or hitting a button and and uh, you know and forgiving a bunch of loans before we can get back in front of Judge Krause. And that's the game here. <clears throat> the game is to create a fait accompli before the courts can decide the constitutionality. I mean, it's almost like the government has admitted that it's 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 not this wolf comes as a wolf. Right. They're not really hiding it under the bushel here. No, that's right. And, and, you know, we said uh, in the hearing or, you know, when I say we, it's really Shang Lee, our colleague Shang, uh, who uh, (laughs) he's he's been involved in all three cases we've talked about. I guess it's been a busy month for Shang, John. Um, But uh, uh, Shang was the one who was uh, uh, was verbalizing uh, our our concerns to to judge Krauss and and uh, uh, you know the, the the judge was like I say he was sensitive to to this risk uh, but the government we, we asked the government lawyer well would you agree not to forgive any loans until we have an opportunity you know if right. the fifth circuit were, do, were to do that until we can get back in front of judge Krauss and there's a pause and the government lawyer is like well of course i don't have the authority to do that and like well of course you don't and then he says but i can tell you as a you know as a government lawyer uh uh you know nothing happens quickly in the government and this and i was like ah you know what i you'll forgive me if if our client doesn't feel really comfortable relying on that particularly Uh, cato yeah anyway exactly how about the eighth circuit right so so the Eighth Circuit is uh, is a uh, a case that was brought by the attorneys general of six states, including Missouri, Iowa, Nebraska, Kansas, Arkansas, and South Carolina, and that was brought in the Eastern District of Missouri at St. Louis. And the Eastern District found that there was no standing uh, for the states uh, in that case. That's gone up to the Eighth Circuit. The Eighth Circuit has has made a they had put an administrative stay in place. You may remember John. Uh, that had prevented uh, the the loan forgiveness from happening, and now they've done something a little more permanent, where they they have found standing uh, for this case to uh, proceed. And what I'm what I'm not clear on is whether <clears throat> is whether they've found standing and sent it back to the Eastern District, or whether they found standing and now it's going to go forward to a panel. The other thing that was interesting to me is this was a three judge motions panel at the Eighth Circuit. Usually there's only two judges on a motions panel. And the fact that there were three judges on this makes me wonder if this is the same panel that's going to hear the case at the at the Eighth Circuit. And go ahead. Were you well, I just was going to, well, I wanted to point out that we our local counsel is Mark here, which is very unusual. In, oh, in Kansas, yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because he's admitted there. That's right. And he's from there. But anyway, so, um, but what I, what I 
found interesting in the in the eighth is that the theory and and by the way we i full full um uh, uh we have a case with where we are our plaintiffs have joined the state of missouri in another matter mm. and i was just with i'll probably talk about it in the next segment but right. i was just with the uh, uh assistant uh, attorney for the state of missouri and they have a, a pretty good theory of standing in that very good we think yeah exactly in that we were surprised when the eastern district of, of yes, missouri ruled against them yes so they have a um state uh entity mohila yes that processes these loans and so when they don't process those loans missouri has less money in its accounts now it's a little more complicated than that but that's it you just need one dollar of injury to have standing and this is a lot more than that so the judge below, the district court, thought, well, why isn't Mohila here? He was a little nervous about that. And he, I think that nervousness impacted his standing argument, but it shouldn't have. Because as the Eighth Circuit pointed out, well, it really doesn't matter if that state entity is a party or not, because the standing issue is different. The standing issue if, is whether the people who did come to court are injured by the action. Right. And so, and this is, again, I think something appellate courts look at a little bit uh, more uh, uh, legal. Uh, sharply le- or something? Yeah, more, more sh- they look at it sh- more sharply because standing's their thing, right? The district court can mix two um, principles that should be looked at separately when he's got a feeling that something hinky's going on because, oh, look, I would have given this administrative agency standing, but why are you here and is there something going on? But that's really not what he's supposed to be looking at. He's supposed to be looking at, is this person injured such that they get to come to court? And so I think the Eighth Circuit really did make the right ruling there. Um, the question is if they're going to send it back to the district court to um, t- to now make a, a judgment on the law, which I think is what they normally would do. I would think so. And, and you know, it's not that the court's probably already decided that. It's just that I I, I, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't double out. check that I before mean, yeah. I before I jumped on here, but uh, but in, in any event, uh, what that has meant for our case in in Kansas is that the district judge essentially said, "Well, look, there's there's two other courts that have acted here. Uh, I don't think you guys have anything to worry about immediately in terms of this program going to effect. I think we can just stay this until we we find out what is going to happen at the Fifth Circuit and what's going to happen at the Eighth Circuit." And, and we've said, Your Honor, the Eighth Circuit didn't feel a need to. Uh, to 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 stay its decision based on what the Northern District of, of, of Texas did, and and you know we have a uh, we have a different theory of standing than these other than these other courts uh, have have weighed in on. So there's there's uh, work to be done here by you that's different from the work that has already been done on these other courts. And besides which, we need to have these issues percolate up as they did in if you think of like all the Obamacare cases or the nationwide eviction moratorium cases or what have you. Typically, the first district judge to rule on something doesn't cause everybody else to stop work. And and I will say this, from Mark and I's perspective, one of the things that's really, uh, the the Supreme Court doesn't take a, a lot of things saying, we're going to let it percolate, we're going to let it percolate. So then when you're down in the lower courts and somebody else has ruled and they say, ah, I'm going to stay everything, let's see what happens. Well, that's not percolating. That's the, the, the coffee maker's unplugged. So, <laughs> so I think that, I think that that is a, a, a matter of, of some, um, 
uh, I want to use the word surus. I don't know the other word, but it's a thing that bothers me that the Supreme Court doesn't take it because they're waiting for things to percolate. And when these big things come up, a lot of district courts are like, look at all these decisions. Why should I do this? Yeah, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't, it feels like. But uh, uh, but Judge Krause, as I said, has given us the opportunity to make our case as to why he should proceed. So we'll be filing briefs uh, uh, arguing that, and we'll keep you posted on what happens. Stay tuned for more on administrative static i feel almost like i should do the old uh news teletype coming over the wire because uh the reason i was late for this uh program was breaking news hi breaking news i was back from a court hearing in the eastern district of virginia before magistrate judge uh ivan dixon and uh as some of you may have been following the case of missouri v biden um Missouri and Louisiana brought a case against the federal government for uh, First Amendment violations for um, in commanding or influencing the social media companies to take things off of social media that they didn't like. And so Judge Doherty and the... This, West, this is the censorship on Twitter and correct. Facebook and so forth. And, and Judge Doherty in the Western District of Louisiana has ordered depositions be taken before he rules on preliminary injunction motion. And he says, look, we need these. These are serious allegations. They've been made. And uh, I and Janine Eunice represent uh, four clients, individual clients who've had their um, Twitter and Facebook and, and other social media taken down, we believe, in response to this. And um, some of them have, ours mainly have to do with vaccines and COVID and things that are said about them, including by doctors that are absolutely true. Right. Three of the four plaintiffs are doctors. Right. And, um, and the fact of the matter is, is that uh, the government has been fighting like mad to keep us from getting information. And we had subpoenas to the social media companies and the, through negotiation and the subpoenas, we got documents from them. And uh, we've been taking depositions. I deposed uh, this very week. We went to CDC and deposed the CDC. In Atlanta. In Atlanta, the the head digital uh, person, um, point of contact, as they say, POC. And uh, it was very... Is that what POC stands for? Yes, it was a very um, interesting deposition. I won't go into it here, but we've been moving quickly because it's preliminary injunction. So, but there's there's a interesting... um, point when you want to take an ex-government employee. The court in Western District of Louisiana ordered that uh, the former spokesperson for the president, Jen Psaki, should be deposed. And uh, he's, he's issued three, four, maybe even last night he issued a new one saying that the videotape depositions, there is a protection that you can't use the videotape de- depositions because until you know the court case comes around. So those are sealed uh, until then. Is it, is it true that when she got the notice for the deposition that she said she wanted to circle back on that? She wants to circle. Well, that hurts. Her lawyers were trying very hard to do circling back today. <laughs> and the fact is, so the thing is, so so um, 
But under Rule 45, there's an issuing court, and that would be the Western District of Louisiana. And then there's the Court of Compliance, and that would be Eastern District of Virginia, where Jen Psaki lives and I think works. She might work in D.C. Um, but I think she was, she was with MSNBC. I'm not, I, but, but in any event, um, so I, I have really believed that this was a case of let's get a new court and get a different rule. And I didn't think that was going to fly in the Eastern District of Virginia. And I think that some lawyers out there may think that if you have a case that hurts one side of the political environment and helps another side, that whoever the judge is appointed by and what their priors are, are outcome determinative. So you got a 50-50 shot. I, you know, <laughs> is, is that what, right, what exactly. the thought process is? Uh, I, I think a lot. And I think a lot of people, uh, conservative lawyers, liberal lawyers, I think they think like this. And I think they think like this too much for the district courts. And there is not a better example of that than what happened today because uh, we, the Louisiana was going to argue this, uh, or did argue this motion. I should, I'll, I'll have it unfold. But um, so Jen Psaki and the government, so the government's already lost these motions in the Western District of Louisiana, whether she should be deposed or not. And they use something called the Apex Doctrine. When you are right at the top of the federal government, particularly if you're right next to the president, you can't be dragged into court all the time. And that's a rule that I think everyone recognizes. And Missouri and Louisiana and us say, yeah, she's Apex. But here are the exceptions. The exceptions are you made these statements. We have to ask you what they mean because no one else knows that but you. And so this is information we can't get anywhere else. So Does it matter that she's no longer in the White House? It, well, yes. They said it doesn't matter because it still applies to some extent, but it, it applies less. I mean, I think everyone would agree to that. I don't know that her lawyer would agree with that today, but it applies less because you're not disrupting the government function. Well, I think they thought they were going to come so close to D.C. Um, and they were going to get home cooking. I really think that. And they, they ran into the magistrate, uh, Ivan Davis, who I don't know anything about him. I hadn't. Dixon, I think you said earlier. Da- Davis. 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 Yeah. Okay. Um, but in any event, um, he is, he, uh, is a longtime magistrate and, uh, when you and what he mainly deals with is discovery motions like this. You deal with them all the time and magistrate Davis doesn't care whose ox is getting gored. He has his rules on what discovery is. And we and the states had argued in our briefs that, look, um, first, she doesn't have an undue burden. Uh, She just has to prepare for a deposition like every other person in the world has to. The deposition is limited under the federal rules to no more than seven hours. and, um, And that's it. And then we don't get we don't get to badger her forever. And now she's got a protective order. They can't even release the um, the videotape deposition. So it's not like it's going to be on Fox News or whatever it is. So um, so I may come back to that. But 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 uh, what what Magistrate Judge Davis said, which I think um, and we we didn't get it. We didn't get a chance to talk because first uh, Jen Psaki's lawyer got up there and she said how this was a big burden. And and she's apex, and it was, and he has got to um, squash this deposition. And the, the magistrate said, "Wait a minute." And uh, this thing went on for more than an hour, so I am I am I am definitely um, uh, compart- uh, cutting it short. But what he said was, he says, "Now I'm a magistrate judge, and Judge Darity is a district court judge, and he has all the facts before him, and he's ordered this." 
And last night, I get a new order that he's actually entered a protective order for Miss Saki. So he's looked at this. He's looked at burden. He's looked at all these things. And the, the other side, her lawyer and I think the government's lawyer made these very uh, hyper-technical legal arguments that, well, he didn't rule on a motion to quash under Rule 45. And, and Magistrate <laughs> Judge David just went through. He says, wait a minute. Did he look at undue burden? Did he look at relevance of the information that needs to be uh, elicited for this motion that he needs to rule on? And and so and is it and you know is the standard the same? Is it, so I don't care that it's not a Rule Forty Five. Did he look at these things? And also Rule Forty Five lets me transfer the motion in extraordinary circumstances to the uh, Western District of Louisiana. Now, by the way, we haven't said anything yet. This is just all the judge and and. Uh, both the government and um, and Ms. Saki's attorneys were saying, well, this is Rule 45, and it's supposed to be decided here, and these aren't extraordinary circumstances, and this isn't a complex case. And he stops them, and he says, wait a minute. They can't, how can they get that? You think they, that she has no information. Well, that's a short deposition, isn't it? That means there's no burden. It's got to be no burden if she doesn't know any, doesn't have anything to say, or she knows something, and they're entitled to get it. And it, so then he says, and then another thing, how can you say this? She says these words, and they've said what words she said, and they want to ask what they mean. Well, you know, every day we deal with cases where they're, they're saying that there's a conspiracy by high government uh, em, employees to violate the First Amendment through other means. That's the allegations. I don't make any judgment on those allegations, none. This is discovery, though. They get to find stuff out. So they'll find it out. And if she has nothing to say, she has nothing to say. If she has something to say, she says it. But, um, but he says, but even more than that, you want me to overrule district court judge. And no, 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 this is a new motion. This is a different motion. He says, wait a minute. Here's an order. Jen Psaki shall be deposed. So I will issue an order that says she shall not be deposed. How is that not absolutely contradictory? And Rule 45 does not want different rulings from different courts. And not only that, but you've mandamused his orders on all these depositions. She says, well, we haven't. The government has. <laughs> and the government uh, gets up uh, there and uh, says, yeah, we haven't mandamus for Judge Sackey. He says, ah, all right, practicalities again. Is the Fifth Circuit going to rule on this apex argument for everyone else? Yes. Uh, and don't you think that will have some impact? And if I rule differently on the apex matter, don't you think that's a contradictory? Well, I don't know. And so he says, why wouldn't I just transfer this back to the Western District and you can make all these arguments there by someone who's looked at everything? Very practical. And this is the thing with most magistrate judges who deal with discovery all day. It's also, I'd say, most district court judges that, that he was not going to allow different court, different rules. Discovery is how you find out the truth, how you build your case. Another judge had made rulings. He wasn't going to create some kind of conflict um, because he... He didn't know the case as well, or he missed something. And um, and the government got up there and said, well, uh, we have this, well, you know. And then he says, I'm going to transfer it. And our uh, young attorney uh, from uh, Cooper and Kirk uh, stood up and said, Your Honor, <laughs> that's all we have. We think it should be transferred um, for the reasons you said. Uh, unless the court has any questions, uh, we we rest. <laughs> which was the right thing to say. And he says, I have no questions, counsel. <laughs> when you're winning. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Have the good sense. And so um, so uh, they then argued, then the government got up and argued that he should stay his motion to transfer. 
and he should stay his motion to transfer, obviously, so they can go up to the district court judge. So the magistrate's rulings can normally go to the district court judge. I have some question whether a motion to transfer follows that, but I, I bet it does, but I haven't looked at the rules. But what I really think is hilarious is, well, that's a preliminary injunction standard. So the judge just told you why it should go there, why you're going to lose on that issue, why, why all your arguments are wrong, and now you're going to try and move for a stay, which is a preliminary injunction, which you have to show likelihood of win on the merits? No, don't do that. So, but the government did, and, um, well, gee, it didn't work. So, so <laughs> Surprise, he, surprise. So he, he ruled from the bench that the motion is going to be transferred back to the Western District of Louisiana. And so um, it was a very good day for us. We're taking the depositions. I think we're getting good information. And I think you want to take a look at our website um, at nclalegal.org for all of the pleadings. We'll see you next time.